This is the True Prophet Podcast with your host, Dr. Sherry Fluellen. The True Prophet Podcast brings together Christian entrepreneurs to bring about true profit. What is true profit, you ask? It's the movement of Christian entrepreneurs that are driven to seek truth for their life and their business, not just what sounds good or is easy. We take absolute responsibility for the endless pursuit of true wisdom. We take the narrow road. We know we will be hated at some point, but we don't make excuses and we stick to what we know is true. We are entrepreneurs who are determined to honor God no matter how it looks to those around us. When we fail, because we always do, we know we are forgiven through Christ, which gives us the courage and strength to continue on. Through every test in our business and our life, our profit may be money, but we also know our biggest profit is our faith. For what profits a man if he gains a whole world but loses his soul? Because you are among the elite of entrepreneurs chosen by God to make an impact, your pursuit of true profit will change the world. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining in to the second half of the interview with Dr. Charlie Self. I know that you are going to enjoy the rest of our conversation. Have fun. Culture is such an important concept in um, in the workplace and, you know, as an entrepreneur or even a leader within a business, it absolutely falls a large extent on our, our responsibility to vision what that culture should be like and try to do what we can to shape it and keep it um, in the way it's supposed to, to go. And um, I'm going to just go back to that critical mind versus critical spirit again, um, because I think most people would agree that having a culture where there are critical minds, that people are not just a yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, um, kind of employee that they really give, you know, thoughtful consideration to things, give their input. We want that. Um, but we wouldn't want it to flip over into just being, um, you know, a grumpy, <laughs> a grumpy person all day, every day. And, you know, what, what are your thoughts around how to foster a, a strong, functional uh, culture? Wow. That, huge question. Um, let me answer it with some resources I've gleaned over the years from Oz Guinness, from James Davidson Hunter, from the stories of William Wilberforce and others. Um, so I want to just acknowledge what I'm sharing with you is distilled from a lot of smart people, uh, John Perkins, uh, several others. First and foremost, uh, the first freedom, the first foundation is freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. In other words, if we're going to create a culture we have, to under, we have to live with our deepest differences with civility and respect. Um, the person in the cubicle, the person in the home, the person in the store next to me may have a different universe than me. And yet, for the believer, they're made in the image of God. Yeah. Christ died for them as well. They're worth his sacrifice. And therefore, they still bear his image and have something to contribute for the common good. Secondly, we have to find some unity around what flourishing looks like. What does it mean to have a healthy person in a healthy community? You know, one of the things I like to challenge when people are objecting to my ideas in the political world <clears throat> or the social and political world, I'll say, you know what, I, 
boy, there's lots of room to grow. What does your there look like? What, what does it mean? Um, and I think people of conscience and thoughtfulness can find a lot of overlap. Once you kind of get past the memes and generalizations <laughs> and ideological captivities, once you get past the isms and the labels and stop libeling, um, what there looks like is people being having access and equity and opportunity, the ability to grow into and fulfill what they were designed to do, which in turn contributes to the good of the whole. So Jesus won't fit into the socialist or libertarian box. He won't fit into the hyper-individualism that we've been living with since Descartes, and he won't fit into the collectivism that Karl Marx enshrined in our culture, and we're still feeling the weight of. Because in the book of Proverbs in particular, one minute we're told to be diligent and eat the fruit of our land, and the next minute we're told to be generous and the righteous are to lead a city into its flourishing. And so I think a third thing that I think is really vital as we talk about culture shaping is to recognize um, all that goes into it, the good, the true, the beautiful, the sustainable. What are the endowments that God has given humankind to create culture that becomes inclusive? Um, and, and that's at the same time, there's still, um, there are still real principles to this. There are still real, real moral and ethical backbone to this. And that's where um, so, many of the so, so many of the social media participants, they want all of this thing they call justice and harmony, mm -hmm. but they don't realize the responsibility that goes into it. One more phrase to kind of be thinking about, rage against the machine is easy. <laughs> Building sustainable enterprises and communities is work. Yes. And I think that I, um, I had one friend in, um, in Akron, Ohio. He was a pastor doing really great work. And it was part of a big community group. And, you know, Akron's been suffering for years economically and socially. They've just stopped the bleeding of being depopulated and they're starting to rebuild. And so everybody's showing up agitating if, if only, if only, if only. And one day he called the bluff and he said, okay, somebody gives us $5 million. What would we do? And almost no one in the room had an answer. In other words, God will often entrust resources to people that are prepared to be good stewards. Yeah. And so I think we have to ask the question, what does there look like? So I can, I can, I've been in debates with Muslims, Jews, atheists, uh, other Christians, other religious uh, perspectives. And I have found if they have a sense of conscience and liberty, we can agree about 80, 90% of what there looks like. And if you go under the surface a little bit, there are groups that really struggle with not micromanaging every detail of our lives. So we've got lots of work to do. Yeah, definitely. Um you know, to summarize kind of what I heard, one of the things I heard you say was that it's easy to throw stones, it's easy to tear something down, but there has to be a rebuilding um, with a strong foundation. And that's where a lot of people aren't quite visualizing that piece of it yet. And I want to just encourage our listeners that <clears throat> don't wait for the State House or the White House. Don't even wait for City Hall. 
I have watched neighborhoods turned upside down for good when God's people in every domain and people of conscience roll up their sleeves, envision what they look like, get rid of the banking, food, and business deserts, and begin to mobilize the assets, which are people, mm -hmm. um, for the good of the neighborhood. I've watched entire neighborhoods have a 90% change in crime. The worst schools become blue ribbon schools. Uh, businesses believe again that there's business to be done. Um, but you don't, you don't wait for someone far away. You ask the question of how I can add value today. So I've, I've heard some arguments recently um, uh, in the entrepreneurial word, world around, do I bring a social justice or some sort of social um, champion uh, aspect to my business, even if it's not um, natively part of my business, you know, do I do I add a piece of that so that we can all rally around and and have kind of unity in knowing that maybe you know at the very least that some of the profit of a business is going towards um, you know freeing children from from sex trafficking in um, Uganda or something like that um, versus some saying well it's dangerous and uh, you know to try to bring in this kind of artificially separate uh, piece of a business that's not really doesn't doesn't really belong in business if if your business is not about that particular thing um, and, and I feel like this maybe kind of ties into what you were just saying well you've unearthed another false dichotomy and that's yeah. the false dichotomy between personal and social ethics um, in American history in the first 100 years of evangelical Christianity from about the 1720s and 30s to about the 1820s uh, with all the different revivals, um, whether it's orphans or slavery or um, justice for the poor, there was no separation between conversion and making the world a better place. Tragically, every, every denomination split over race and slavery from the 1830s to 1860s. And I want to use John Wesley as an icon of integration. Mm. For Wesley, you, you don't think in those discrete categories. You should earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can with wisdom. You should, you should not blow your trumpet when you're giving to the poor, but there should be no anonymous charity. You need to know the poor. So here, let me reframe your question. As we build businesses... First of all, justice is social. So the first question is, are our workers part of our justice? In other words, are we treating them as well as we can, doing the best by them as we can? Because the provision of a job is a social good. So Absolutely. If you didn't give a dime to charity out of the business, you're still doing a social good. Because every job provided is a family and community. The pebble in the pond is huge. Yeah. Mayor Reed in San Jose, uh, more than a decade ago, kept a company in town with a thousand high tech jobs. And within five years, 5,000 more jobs were created. Wow. So for that, that's the first thing. Don't separate the two. Secondly, um, as part of this, um, the more you empower, the, I would be a, a real fan of profit sharing insofar as everyone has an incentive to have every part of the business do well. And so that's an example of a social ethic within your own company. Um, 
then you could decide ahead of time, which I think we should decide voluntarily before a too powerful government decides for us, you decide ahead of time how to disperse profits. Yeah. And uh, again, you have to go back into R&D, you have to have some cash on hand, you have to pay your bills, you have to take, so, but you can decide the discretionary part of that and owners can decide without announcing it to the world that they can um, themselves live on a little bit less while much more is done. But I, that's one place to be anonymous about it. So I've had friends who literally made sure that their CEO salaries were never more than a certain X factor above the lowest paid worker in the company. Um, now, it was still risk and reward. They weren't apologizing for doing well, but they, they were letting everyone do well. Um, but I think I do believe in social enterprise. Just don't, just don't toot the horn about it. Just do it. Just get about doing it. So if, if sex slavery is something on your heart, boy, get on the board, donate wisely, um, but help mobilize the church to be friends to the victims. As mm -hmm. Beth Grant says, the biggest need she has is not for advocates, but for friends. Mm -hmm. um, so the real question for the church and sex trafficking isn't whether we should care. The real question is, will we be friends with the people that are learning, learning what normal is? Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I think the main thing is that Wesley and the early evangelicals didn't separate personal and social ethics. Um, now, the policies and practices of that will change with time and context. And by the way, we're only in my lifetime healing that horrific split of the denominations. You know, um, in 1960, millions of people couldn't vote. Now they can. And they have more access, more opportunity. So only in my lifetime have the denominations begun reconciliation. So the good news is there's progress. Um, the challenge is you can't separate Sunday and Monday. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I'm, I really want people to be able to take out of these podcasts are practical rules of thumb or frameworks in which they can then apply to their specific situation. Because of course, you know, as a, as a psychologist, there's no way I'm going to say, well, what I tell one person very specific, how I speak to them specifically in their, um, in their life is not going to be the exact same, you know, best situation in the next person, but there is absolutely frameworks and, and rules of thumb that we need to, to use um, or, you know, frameworks of ethics. And so more specifically um, about this idea of being an owner or being an entrepreneur and um, the social ethic of making sure that your employees are well taken care of. How, you know, can you expound on that a little bit? Um, you know, let me kind of give an example. Um, you know, let's say that I um, start a business and um, I want to make sure that my my employees are are paid so that they can pay their bills. But maybe that means that I'm actually not taking a paycheck for a period of time. Um, that can get into murky waters about the sustainability of the business. Um, so that's on one end where maybe I'm devaluing my myself in the organization. Um, and then maybe, you know, 10 years from now, I was able to keep the business going and, and now it's doing really well. And, and so how much above and beyond or what kind of framework should I use to evaluate what is quote unquote fair to me versus fair to employees? Yeah. Well, 
part of this is very empirical because the nature of the business and the markets for that business will give some of those answers, some of those parameters. You need to create enough wealth to make it sustainable and enough wealth to be nimble as markets change. So there's no glory in having no profit or not, or not giving yourself a paycheck. Um, And I, I, by the way, I say this to young ministers all the time. They come to me for advice and that's such an honor when they do. And they've got this, they've got their basic priorities down and I'll say, take care of your family economy. Um, by the way, my students aren't allowed to use the word full-time ministry or bivocational anymore. <laughs> you are, you're a pastor. You might be multi-occupational, uh, but you're no less a pastor. If you're paid full-time, that's fantastic. But I, I took jobs without knowing the salary and hurt my family. And so there's no glory in not making sure the economic model objectively works. Um, and self-care isn't selfish because remember, as an entrepreneur, taking care of yourself gives you margin to take care of others. Yes. Now, there, there will be a season of sacrifice. So there may be a season you don't take a paycheck, or, but that should not be the long-term model. For example, if I run a fast food franchise, for example, and um, okay, I'll say I run a healthy one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But by the way, rest, restauranting is hard work and a hard business. Yes. I can't pay a counter worker $25 an hour much as I would want to. I just, there's no sustainability in the price of the product and everything else. But what I can do is probably pay them a dollar or two more and incentivize education and maybe work with the housing authority to find housing. In other words, I can create an environment where people will want to work for me, even while it's turning a profit. Yeah. And so, in fact, Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out Burger have proven this. Yeah. Um, they, they have people lined up wanting to work, not only own, but work for them. So I want to say it's um, self-care matters. But let me share... Let me share a couple of frameworks. You asked for frameworks. Yes. A couple of frameworks that really helped me. Um, number one, do, do, I really know, do, I, do I really know my charisms here? Do I know the boundaries of what I'm supposed to be investing in, in terms of my time and talent? And by charism, I'm not talking about those wonderful Sunday morning moments. I'm talking about the gifts and the talents God's given us. By the way, natural and supernatural both come from God. So do I know my boundaries? Secondly, do I, do I know, am I a woman or man of character? Because integrity has got to mark this from the beginning. Dallas Willard said, work is where is the crucible of our character. And so uh, we've got to decide ahead of time that apart from certain confidentialities, I always tell people, you can know everything you want to know apart from counseling sessions and my private conversation with Kathy. What else do you want to know? The books are open, you know, you know, no secrets to be had. Thirdly, competencies. What actual skills can be developed and grow that are needed to make this thing run? And then fourthly, capacity. Jesus said, go and bear much fruit, which implies that we can grow in capacity. Now, not every business is going to franchise and explode. It may be a well-run enterprise in one location, and that may be the design of God, but its capacity can still grow in, in its heart for the community, in its um, use of resources. 
So that's one kind of um, framework that I think can be really helpful as people uh, aim to start enterprise as well. So you talked about um, knowing one's boundaries, um, particularly around gifts and strengths. Um, and I have a conversation with people a lot about their gifts and the strengths. And that's, um, that's where my mind goes is when I meet with somebody, I talk with somebody, whether it's in the counseling office or whether it's, you know, in consulting or whatever. Um, I, I just get such a pleasure from identifying where people are really good and then just trying to bolster them in that. But what I've found is that so many people have been groomed, it seems, to rather focus it on their weaknesses and their perspective is, well, you know, I'm a quote unquote failure or weak in this area. Therefore, if I'm going to be successful or have any sort of impact in the world, I need to minimize the weakness rather than focus on my strength. But I've also, you know, I see, I kind of treat it the opposite, that if we can function out of our strengths, we are so much more effective and efficient in the world and, and can have such a greater impact. But at the same time, going back to the other side, you know, in our weakness, Christ is able to show his glory. So, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that? Three things that are helpful points of discernment, because I share with you this passion for people to get a profile from which they can operate out of strength. Yes. So um, number one, distinguish between, in weaknesses, distinguish between things you can learn and things that you're simply not designed for. Okay, that's so great. I, I can learn how to use QuickBooks. I don't like you know, balancing my checkbook or whatever, but I can learn how to use QuickBooks. I'm not designed to be an accountant. Okay. <laughs> so I, th I think that's really important because it will both spare us, like you said, from focusing on our weaknesses, but it won't give us excuses to not learn something. Yeah. Um, I wrote my dissertation with a fountain pen. <laughs> oh my, my goodness. My wife, you know, typed it. We printed it and had to hand accent the foreign languages that were in it. Yeah. This is 1995. Well, the world's changed. She no longer types anything for me. I've learned how to type a little bit. Um, and by the way, I'm not a patriarchal oppressor for all of those worried. She could type 120 words a minute, and I never learned to type. So there's balance. So a second principle. So one is to know the difference between a, a field you're not supposed to do and a field you can acquire a skill. I think a second area is to take some time and, and integrate natural and spiritual. It's really important that we, um, we're, we're, we, we, again, we make these artificial distinctions. Offer your whole self, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to God, and say, God, how do you want to use this mental, athletic, creative uh, discipline? How do you want to use these abilities for your glory and in what industry? Um, and by the way, that's a key aspect of the value add you bring to an industry. Mm -hmm. When you have a resume or you're trying to go to the bank for a loan or whatever, you can say, um, this is our place, you know, in the field. And that leads me to the third thing. And it's a kind of a big word for both companies and people. And that's positioning, positioning without over specialization. So um, for example, I, I, have, I, I still consider myself a pastor. Uh, I'm on the team at our church, and I'm not a formal pastor, but I'm on the teaching team, and I love God's people. Um, but if, if for some reason I was supposed to be a pastor again and some board is interviewing me, 
I would be able to say, this is the kind of pastor you get when you get me. Now, mm -hmm. when you ask for a pastor, you're going to get someone who's going to love people, preach faithfully, go to the hospital, marry and bury, all those good things. That's assumed. Yeah. Um, but here are the three or four things about how I understand how God's designed me to do this job. And, what that, and that also helps you in, in, a, in a crowded market get heard above the noise. What's, so what's different about your practice? What's different about your consulting firm? What's a little bit different about your boutique? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to put anybody else down. Right. You get to build up the specificity of what you do. I, I love that perspective. And, and in, in the business world, it, you know, the buzzword is what is your niche? And you, you know, it's becoming so crowded with the easy access to learning and information and creating a business. I mean, it really is pretty easy to create a business, um, you know, and, and you just, some people just buy a domain name and then they feel like they're in business, you know, <laughs> and um, um, being able to have that unique value proposition and understand exactly, you know, there may be 20,000 other people that do what I do very generally, like you're talking about the, the roles of a pastor, but then, you know, what are the specific aspects about my giftedness and my experience that, that bring together and help me have that niche. And the more that I'm able to express that niche more clearly, it tends to just naturally draw people who can benefit the most from that. So it's no longer trying to convince people or, you know, that I can help you. It's, it's just kind of offering yourself very vulnerably and kind of it with clarity. Well, one of my mentors said, it's always better to under promise and over deliver. Yeah. It's always better and not, not a false humility, but a, what we call it made to flourish hopeful realism. Okay. Um, that, Hey, this is what the product, the service, um, the agency, this is what we can do. And sometimes it's been taken and this has happened and other times it's been taken partway, but this is what we can do well. And um, I'll give you a, a humorous example to make a point in the crowded field of the local church. Uh, I pastored a struggling congregation for a few years and we made some headway and especially in the city made some headway. Uh, but I had we, my board didn't think music really mattered on Sunday morning. The quality of the music didn't matter. And they wouldn't invest, and I'm not talking huge dollars, but they wouldn't really invest in what you and I both know is an important part of God's people being participants. Mm -hmm. So inevitably we'd grow and then people would come to me and want to go to another church. I had a list of seven churches in the top drawer of my desk. They were all friends. I said, what do you feel like you need? You need a little more family life? These guys do it great. Do you need something that's more Pentecostal than me? Jim, boy, Jim's doing great over here. And I, it, it kind of called the bluff of people that wanted to confront all, all of the failures of my church. <laughs> um, and I think in business, we can speak well of others and speak specifically of ourselves. Yeah. And so, um, by the way, if you're traveling on an interstate or a a highway and you go to a rest stop if there's two or more restaurants and two or more gas stations they're always in better shape than when there's only one yes so we always want to be refined by others in the field helping us get better that's one of the beauties of capitalism in my opinion absolutely and <laughs> there's a new book out redeeming capitalism by ken barnes that i think everyone should read he knew he was taking a risk even using the word 
and he's from Gordon Conwell Seminary, the Mockler Center there. And he says, hold it a minute. Three billion people have been lifted out of poverty by access to global markets and enterprise, not by central planning. Yeah. And just in my lifetime. And he goes back and he looks at the biblical roots of enterprise and he goes back and looks at the historical roots. So we really can redeem what I'm going to describe as um, open access markets and opportunity for everyone. Thank you for sharing that resource. I'll have to read that. That sounds fascinating. Um, I, you, you mentioned the Made to Flourish Network, um, and that's something that I introduced in your bio. Um, I just recently found that resource, was on the website, saw some very intriguing names to articles and started to dig in a little bit. But can you talk a little bit about what the purpose of that is and what, how entrepreneurs can use that to their own benefit? Well, since we're sharing with entrepreneurs, most of whom are not clergy, I want to encourage uh, our fellow entrepreneurs, we're helping your pastors understand what you do all week. Yes. And <laughs> what you do all week and commission and empower you for that work. So we're, our job is to empower pastors in their churches to integrate faith, work, and economic wisdom so that people, churches, and communities can really flourish. And the idea is that we have that we, what we call Sunday faith and Monday work are seamless. That you wake up, that one church does an interview with a congregant every week called This Time Tomorrow. And they'll bring somebody up and say, well, how will you be worshiping God and serving God this time tomorrow? And the congregant will say, well, I, I run this business. I'm a homeschooling mom. And what it does is dignify the reality that the Great Commission is going to take place as they go about their good work every day. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, if I had a, if I had a fantasy, <laughs> all, all of our summer camps and youth conventions on the final night when we ask how many people are called to ministry, what I'd really love is a final night. Are you sold out to the mission of God? And here's 10 different rooms to go to depending on what kind of work you're going to do. Yeah. By the way, if you're a missionary, praise God, I will write a check because I love doing that. But the idea is there's no unimportant field. So we're helping pastors understand how to change Sunday morning, change discipleship. We have one pastor that makes three workplace visitations a week. One minute he's with a, an immigrant who's a landscaper, and the next minute he's at the headquarters of a high-tech company. But the presence is huge. Um, we have churches incubating businesses now. By the way, Asbury Theological Seminary, part of Asbury University, great spirit-filled Methodist down there. In fact, it was the most Pentecostal environment I've been in for years. <laughs> the Lord was pouring out his spirit in the chapels and in the classrooms. They're incubating 22 businesses right next to the seminary. That's incredible. So the idea is we, we gather pastors for this kind of encouragement and training. We often have pastors learn from the marketplace and vice versa. And so our, our passion is for pastors to have integrity of heart and skillful hands, for their churches to be commissioning people for all of life. And then as a result of this, let me share with you the aha that I'm so excited about. To make a real socioeconomic impact in the community as well as spiritual impact, but not necessarily through more programs, but the deployment of their people in every domain of society, including charity. So my friend Roger in Dublin, California, has CityServe, 30-plus churches mobilizing hundreds of Christians to volunteer for 20 nonprofits 
And what's happening is the government's paying for their office now. He doesn't have to do everything in his church. And so whether it's the nonprofit kind of mobilization or the, or the incubating of businesses, 400 churches in Detroit right now are making sure every kid has a third and fourth grade reading tutor. That's awesome. So, because if, you don't, if you're not reading by fourth or fifth grade, it is, a, it is a hard redemptive task. And as they rebuild Detroit, so I could tell you story after story, but anyone, anyone can join, by the way, whether you're clergy or laity, you're welcome to join. And then if, you're, if you are a part of a pastoral team, we'll provide you with some extra resources so you can really jumpstart what is already in your heart, but we often don't have language for. Yeah. But I got to share one more story. Please. I love it when someone says, I was a firefighter and then God called me to be a missionary to Uzbekistan. I love that story. That's wonderful. But I also think we need to honor the story of, I was a pastor for 10 years and God blessed it. And then he told me to start a business to, in order to, to alleviate poverty and to preach the gospel here. We would call the second story leaving the ministry. Yeah. I just want to share to every listener you are in the ministry. You are in the mission of God, doing what you do with, with integrity and skill. Some are assigned to spiritual leadership, and that's, that is a very important thing. And I honor credentialed ministers. Uh, I train them. I love them. Um, so I'm not, I'm not demoting clergy. I want to elevate the other 98% of the body to the, to the fullness of a spirit-empowered life through their enterprises. That is, I, I could just sit here and listen to you all day, quite honestly. I just, I love what you're saying and it's, it's so powerful and, and yet I think speaks so much, it's so much truth. Thank you so much for your participation in bringing awareness and enthusiasm and, and energy and content behind that. Um, and, and so the network is, you know, you kind of... It, it, it's, it was, I think, created with pastors in mind. Yeah, it's focused um, on pastors, but we welcome anyone to sign on and become a, a partner with us. By the way, especially for pastors, as you, and, and other, others too, as you sign on and, and re enjoy the resources, you, you are also a resource. We want to collect more stories. Yeah. We want to collect more wisdom. In fact, I want this podcast to be known to our network. And I'm going to introduce you to some of the people. Um, doctor, I want to thank you for just the work you do. I want to introduce kind of your take on things to some of our folks so that we can keep mutually helping each other keep grow and keep learning. So we are focused on pastors. By the way, we have a real high value on the local church. We love every other agency, but the local church is still plan A. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, beautiful and broken as she can be, it's one of the last, uh, the last kind of agencies of location and place that people have in the world, along with maybe their elementary school or a couple other things. And so we, it really matters to the Lord that we have uh, strong local churches, healthy pastors, but then every single person wakes up on Monday, no matter how difficult the day is going to be, knowing that they're commissioned to that day. Yes. When I went to the website, um, I, as I said, I was very intrigued by a lot of the titles of the articles and some of the videos available. And, you know, you, you said just a little bit ago that sometimes it's helpful to get language to the experience or the feelings. And that's exactly my experience of when I went to the website, you know, it, 
is that maybe I'm not the intended first end user, but even looking at the articles, I'm like, that's, you know, this is my experience that, you know, they're speaking around why work is really a vocation that is, you know, called and, and spoke to in the Bible. And, and so it helps give me affirmation and language around, you know, my own kind of gut feeling or spiritual desires. So I think I would encourage all the entrepreneurs to, to check out some of the articles in there too, because I think it just is encouraging and affirming. Well, and we're partners and friends with other resources. Uh, I'd love to do another podcast just on the resources for entrepreneurs, because I've had the honor, I'm on boards of several, but I've had the honor of speaking at and learning from so many amazing resources. So we'll, we'll come back to that someday. But um, I will some, take you up on that. <laughs> so, but there's some really great uh, friends and partners that we draw on. You mentioned the Acton Institute. Um, we're not saying everything spoken there, we would agree with every detail, but we're so grateful for the breadth and depth of what they provide. Uh, I'm in charge of the Protestant chapels on the mornings during their university event, and I'm teaching on John Wesley this year. Uh, so uh, the American Enterprise Institute, the Oikonomia Network, the Theology of Work Project, uh, many institutes for faith and work around the country we're friends with. Um, right here, I live in Den I live near Denver, Colorado. I'm in the Rockies, looking out at the beautiful snow-capped mountains right now. Um, <laughs> we have the Denver Institute for Faith and Work um, that we're friends with. So um, we just want to keep learning with you. Wonderful. Um, well, I want to respect your time and get this wrapped up. Um, is there any parting wisdom that you can that you want to offer that you haven't already? <laughs> well, boy. Um, Speaking specifically to the sister, sisters and brothers listening that are entrepreneurs, um, I would want to I would want to encourage them to build into what they do um, the stability of their ethics and the flexibility of their methods. So let it be said of your enterprise that character and honesty and truthfulness is what you're about, and yet being able to pivot and adjust to changing market realities. Now, again, each enterprise is different, but it goes back to that vocational stability, occupational nimbleness. We could even build some of that into our enterprises, um, and hopefully that'll be of help. Thank you so much. Um, it, was, it was a privilege talking with you. You've been listening to the True Profit Podcast. I ask you to join our movement by subscribing to our podcast and by joining our Facebook group, True Profit Movement. We are bringing Christian entrepreneurs together to grow in true profit. God bless.